0: This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. It is always my pleasure to be here with you on the Sunday Night Sex Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Maureen McGrath, in case you're just joining me. I am a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, blogger, researcher, author, TED speaker, you name it. It has to do with sex or health. I do it, uh, so thanks for, uh, and I try to help you do it as well if that 's helpful at all. This is the year of the rooster, right Matt yeah, it sure is <laughs> the rooster there 's another name for the rooster which and I'm gonna i 'm not going to sit on it i don 't think you can i don 't think I can either, but you know it 's notable that it is the year of the rooster. I was thinking about something what if you know there's so many aspects of a relationship or a marriage or people two people living together that can cause conflict and and nobody likes conflict and nobody teaches people how to deal with conflict or how to approach an issue often people will just walk away or leave. They may rather leave a relationship than actually deal with it. And I see that a lot in my clinical practice. People are you know, they start with trying to change the partner. If I do this, if I do that, or I told him this or I told her that, you know, they think that's gonna actually make the big changes. But people really have to look at themselves, know thyself and uh, in order to make the change and recognize it, recognize the issues that they have. And one of the most common bits of wisdom, if you will, that I deliver to my in my clinical practice in North Vancouver and in Vancouver to the clients or the patients is... Do not blame the person that you're in the relationship with. Rather, look at yourself. How did you contribute to the issues in the relationship? Because it's never about one person. It's always about two people, but everybody has to take responsibility. And you will gain some traction if you look at yourself and say, this is how I contribute. I, I may I have a, a temper. I may uh, be selfish. I may use sex as a power tool. I may withhold sex. I may run myself ragged. I may drink too much. I may smoke cigarettes. And we're going to get into that. And that could be a big turnoff for people. You might meet somebody online and they're a cigarette smoker. And then you can be like, what have you got there?
1: I've um, recently quit smoking cigarettes. I didn't I'm, even
0: know you smoked cigarettes. I know. I
1: hide it. My family doesn't know I smoke cigarettes. I,
0: doesn't your mother listen to this show?
1: Um, hopefully not tonight. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm proud of myself because I've had this for three weeks and I've had one cigarette. Oh, good and for I've you. Never what is that? It's just a vaporizer. Oh, it's a vaporizer. It's, yeah. it's just nicotine. and. I, it's, it took me a while to get past the sweetness because I still like that dirty
0: taste of a cigarette. Right, but well, it's addictive, and, and we're going to talk about why. But yeah. um, so that is sweet that vape that vaporizer. Yeah, well, it's
1: just like nicotine and some sugary thing. Oh, okay. So, it is nicotine in there. Yeah, it's oh. three milligrams. So oh, it's the I lowest dose that. you can have. Oh,
0: okay. So there is still some nicotine in those yeah. vapor. I didn't realize that. I did not at all. You it taught me something there. Well, it took me a long Matt? time
1: to to want to do this because I don't know. I wanted to know if it was healthy and whatnot. But then when I'm s- smoking a pack a week, maybe more.
0: It's probably a little bit healthier. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not coughing up my know. lungs anymore, so... Oh, that's good. Oh, my gosh, man. I had no idea you were a smoker. <laughs> I'm Anyway, it's hard. It's difficult to, to quit, but that can have a, a big impact on sexual function.
1: Yeah, I started smoking just so I could have breaks because people oh. that I worked with, if they smoked, they could have a break. So at 18 years old, I started smoking just oh, so I could well. have a break. And oh, yeah. No, it's, been, it's been, yeah, battle. So
0: many better kinds of breaks you can take, okay? Starting with you know what, uh, but cigarette smoking may have effects on the human brain similar to those of antidepressant drugs. So this is uh, this may hit home a little bit, Matt, and may uh, but, I, but but prior to this, what I was thinking about in the U.S. because the U.S. I was thinking about we're all thinking about America these days, and especially me. I'm I'm dual citizen, <laughs> Canadian and American, and uh, Irish as well. Threesome. My little threesome, but um, in my own way. Uh, The thing about, like, what if a Republican is married to a Democrat? That would be really challenging right now. And I'm certain, because, you know, politics is thrown out the window when sexual attraction or somebody falls in love with somebody. And so you you think, oh, that'll be okay. That'll be just fine. I can live with a Republican. You know, I can live with a Democrat. No problem. Because Republicans have certain... Political values and Democrats have certain political values but right now we're so heated in the country and they're, they're so divided that you know you couldn't help but perhaps harbor some hard feelings for uh, your partner of the opposition uh, the opposite political party. So that would be a challenge that was that was something that that came to mind. So how do you deal with that how does how does one deal with different political values, because people are very passionate about that. And, and there are, you know, some are dyed in the wool, what's bred in the bone remains in the flesh. And, you know, so a lot of families are Republicans, and that passes down through the families. And a lot of families are Democrats. And that's kind of how it works in the States, you are how you are raised. So that could be just another challenge for people in relationships. But cigarette smoking, and especially on the online dating, you meet somebody and they're not a smoker, they might be an athlete. they may you know love hiking, love swimming, love tennis. I don't know who does that, but that was anyway. one thing
1: I would never tell on online dating is
0: that I was a smoker because that would turn a lot of a oh, lot of majority of them. off. Yes, it would, especially in Vancouver because so few people smoke. But what I was gonna say, this might make you take that next step and say, no nicotine at all, okay? Because you're a great guy, I know that, and this is not—I'm not tarring everybody with the same brush, but it's often a thought because I've read about this in the past um, that cigarettes have an antidepressant effect in them, and so when I see somebody smoking, I—that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I wonder if it's making them feel better on some level. Not to say that you're depressed. I don't uh, mean to say that. Uh, there's, but. It's certainly something to consider, but there's also an addictive quality to cigarettes. So cigarettes, and especially cigarette smoking, we're not talking about nicotine gum, or we're not talking about the patch. We're not talking about jaw, uh, um, chewing tobacco. We're talking specifically about cigarette smoking. And so it, it acts in a very similar fashion to antidepressant drugs, and it may explain the high rate of smoking amongst depressed people and their resistance to quitting because this is one thing that helps them to feel better. And according to this research out of the NIH, uh, depressed people are more likely to smoke and are more resistant to quitting smoking. However, it was unclear if the nicotine or other chemicals that are taken in during smoking directly affected the brain's of those who were depressed. So there's a new study, uh, Dr. Gregory Ordway, he's the professor of psychiatry at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and they looked at post-mortem sam- samples of locus cariuleus from the brains of seven people who had been heavy smokers and nine who had been non-smokers. All had been mentally healthy. They found that the brains of the long-term smokers had neurochemical abnormalities similarly, similar to the brains of animals treated with antidepressant drugs. And this study was published in the Archives of General Psychiatry in 2001. So this theory has been around for a long time. Specifically, the brains of the long-time smokers had significantly fewer negative 2 receptors and significantly less of the enzyme tyrosine hydroxylase. And those two chemicals helped to manufacture the brain chemicals noradrenaline and dopamine, dopamine being the feel-good hormone, these two effects have also been reported in animals exposed to antidepressant drugs and are two of the markers used to identify potential antidepressant drugs. So these facts, aspects contribute to the high incidence of smoking and that problem that people have in trying to quit. You can beg somebody to quit, they just can't because nicotine's action on the reward system in the brain has long been believed to produce this drug-induced feeling of pleasure and then over time, addiction. Pleasure leads to addiction. And nicotine also has the effect of increasing alertness. You feel more awake. It enhances a person's mental performance. It may increase your heart rate, your blood pressure. It'll restrict blood flow to the heart muscle and then that drug also releases the hormone epinephrine that further stimulates the nervous system and gives you that kick. So you get that kick from nicotine, that lift, that ability to get through the day. You take that break and you can come back and you can do it again. So it also promotes the release of the hormone B endorphin and that inhibits pain. So people with chronic pain, uh, people with depression, people with issues. And that's why some of the antidepressants, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but some of the antidepressants are actually used to treat pain. So this seems to be all relevant and all related as well. So it's still unclear whether smoking causes the antidepressant effects that the research has observed or whether the people with this particular type of brain chemistry are more susceptible to becoming smokers, so that 's why it 's a good idea just to stay away from it the The researchers suspect that smoking causes the neurochemical changes, and so more studies are definitely needed but this also gives us a little bit of a look into um, uh, or, or kind of a, it helps to explain the effectiveness of some of the drugs approved by the Food and Drug Administration, administration, the FDA, like the antidepressant Welbutrin or Bupropion. And actually, kind of paradoxically, Bupropion is more effective for treating nicotine addiction in non-depressed smokers than in smokers who are depressed. So we're using antidepressants to treat uh, people, to help people to quit smoking. And uh, so there's, you know, You've got to consider the brain in this. And when people are mindful and understand that, it may help them to actually take that extra push and and quit smoking entirely. And so uh, that was not targeted at you, Matt. But uh, anyway, hopefully, <laughs> congratulations on the progress you've made so far. That's fantastic. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Not at all. And so just consider, if you're you meet somebody and they smoke, you might think, could this mean something else? I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk
1: 980 CKNW. Tell-
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. We are deep into the second hour now. Talking about sex, we're talking about the importance of sex in a marriage or in a relationship. The studies are about 50-50. Some of them say it's important. Some of them say it's not. I think a lot of people get married or see people who are married and they think they must be having rocking sex every single night of the week or they can have sex whenever they want. Well, that's definitely not the case. That's not what I see in my clinical practice for sure. And that's not what I've seen on the YouTube video of my TED Talk the no sex marriage, cheating, masturbation, in shame and loneliness, and shame. That was the title of it. Three thousand people have weighed in on that. A million and a half people have viewed it, and uh, I, I felt I was letting the cat out of the bag a little bit. And but. But my work has been affirmed there or validated, Um, and and this is an issue. But again, because sex is such a taboo subject, we don't talk about it, and we certainly don't talk about how we're not having it. And we just let everybody know how much sex we are having and how great the sex is all the time. And that's what your neighborhood, if you look around your cul-de-sac, I bet you think that all of those neighbors are... Just having a grand old time every single night of the week. Well, not the case at all. Certainly not according to the research I've done and the clinical practice, the patients that I've seen in my clinical practice or the people I've spoken to at all the events or um, places where I have done presentations, often 50 a year sometimes, and, and people will share their stories and their frustrations around it. So does marital bliss depend on an active sex life? Well, for some people it does, and for some people, like the caller, Earlier, it didn't. You know, um, the the act of sex life was not part of it. It was more about respect. It sounded like it was more about intimacy. It was more about being kind and and being loving. And and so, if you are not interested in sex in your marriage or your relationship, and it's not a problem for you, you have no problem. But please don't turn me off because uh, <laughs> there's still lots more to tell you about. It sounds like a bit of a is the sky blue? Kind of question. Uh, does marital bliss depend on an active sex life? For many married couples, it does. Uh, for many married couples, uh, the the sex is such um, is, is so important. You you can't even explain it. It's difficult for married couples to talk about sex amongst themselves. It's difficult for one to communicate to the other what, they, what feels good, what they enjoy, what they like, what they might like to experiment with, what they might like to try. They might be embarrassed. They might feel that they will be judged by their partner if they want to be lightly tied up, for example, uh, or if they want to start, like the emailer earlier, if they want to Bring sex toys into the bedroom. Many men are threatened by a sex toy in the bedroom because they they feel you know the male ego, which is you know around performance in a way that you know uh, Carl Jung and and Freud uh, you know that developmental age of five you know men are looking for approval, whereas little girls they're looking to copy their mother, they're looking to emulate their moms, they're not looking to for their approval, and so that's really the first. Um, woman in their lives and they want to gain that approval and they want to feel good and that that really helps to create that male ego so if, if a guy thinks well why, what's wrong with me you're bringing the sex toy in what's wrong with me but you know some of the other more confident uh, sexually driven men uh, you know are okay with sex toys in the bedroom.
1: I, I honestly used to be really threatened by it until my my last girlfriend I saw how much she loved it and it did take me some time, i got to admit, but and once it, I realized how helpful these devices were, like...
0: Absolutely, yeah. They can be very helpful for a lot of women, and they can just change it up, that that boring missionary and sex. And
1: also, you need to realize that just because your girlfriend or your wife is using these things doesn't mean that they don't love you or like
0: what you're doing. Or that you're not good enough or you're not performing well enough. But, exactly. But that's really, like, if a guy is is asked to... Um, you know, pick up milk, for example, and he, and he doesn't pick up the milk on the way home. And it's like, you didn't bring home the milk. That's it. No sex tonight. And, and for the guy, you know, it's a great easy excuse for the woman. But for the guy, it's like, I'm bad. I'm, I'm not good. I failed again, you know, especially if they have a, a weak male ego. And so that is important. So there's some new research out of um, the F- uh, Florida State University by Lindsay Hicks, and You know, she asked this question, just how important is sex for a marriage? And her study was published in Psychological Science um, recently, and she spoke to about 120 recently married local couples. So these couples were not in the same room when they were asked the questions and it was an interesting study and an interesting way to look at it and so we're going to go to break now and when I come back I'm going to give you the results of this study along with another finding that uh, women actually enjoy sex more than men. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show of Alternative Facts. I'm just kidding. Stay with me. I'll be back soon. On the global sky tracker, weather, a 40% chance of showers tonight, a bit windy, temperature holding around 6, overcast tomorrow, a high of 6 degrees, clouds in the evening, a low of 4. In Burnaby, 6 degrees and cloudy. Outside CKNW Pacific Center, it's 6 degrees. CKNW Newstime, 933. I'm John Hall. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath hosting this show. We are... Coming into the final strokes here for the program, we've got till 10 o'clock to uh, educate you just a little bit more about sex and health, of course, because the two are tied up all together. Um, I did want to, you know, yeah, gut reaction. You know, in fact, today I had to make a decision about a gut reaction. And I thought, you know what? My gut tells me no. My gut tells me there's nothing there. And so I just made a decision based on that and boom, done. That was it. (laughs) Email sent. Uh, No, I didn't want to waste my time. So... Uh, sometimes you have that gut reaction. And gut reactions, I think, are valid. I I, I believe there's some science associated with that as well, or or to support that also. So we're talking about sex and marriage. Is sex critical to a happy relationship? And I know there was a study in the Globe and Mail of 10,000 respondents, mostly men, I believe 70% were men, and Although 75% were satisfied in their relationship, more than 52% were dissatisfied with their sex life. But many studies say sex is not that crucial to a relationship in part because some of the studies when they ask the questions, the question, the, the participants are given time to reflect, time to think, time to ponder. Well, there was a a researcher researcher who felt Giving people that extra time maybe thwarted those studies, maybe influenced the outcomes of those studies. And that is a a researcher from the University of Florida. Uh, Lindsay Hicks is her name, and it was published in Psychological Science. And she thought, you know, we need to look at this and look at the, the gut reaction. So initially her research... Um, in her research, she collaborated with a team of colleagues, and they rounded up 120 recently married couples. And they the couples were separated. They were each asked to fill in a questionnaire that, it, that inquired about how satisfied they were with their spouses and how often they had sex. And those two, um, despite what cynics might suspect, the husband and wife generally agreed. But she didn't want to leave it there. She suspected the reason why the past explorations of the subject of sex in a marriage have had mixed results is because many people want to believe their marriage is in a good state despite the fact that it may be sexless, or it may be infrequent sex, or that the sex wasn't satisfying, or that frequent sex should not be important for maintaining a healthy relationship. If you want it to be, it will be, in other words. So wanting to believe something is not... Though the same as actually believing it, so she needed a way to distinguish between the two. So her answer was what is a, a test called the automatic attitude test, and it measures instant feelings. The the uh, people in the research study, the the research participants, are shown an image and then presented with a word that is either positive, like wonderful. Some of those words that are coming out of the President of the United States mouth, amazing, fantastic, great, incredible, outstanding, or charming, or negative, awful, disturbing, horrible. So when the participants see the word, they must indicate as quickly as they can using a keyboard that measures their reaction time, whether it's positive or negative the work around this in the past has shown that faster reaction times to positive words and slower reaction times to negative ones suggest a participant has a positive attitude towards whatever he saw in the image. Slower reaction times to the positive words and faster ones to negative words suggest the opposite. So to wield this test for her own intents and purposes, Ms. Hicks arranged for participants to work through several sets of words. And the first set was a control set, which is very common in research studies, and they ranked the words without seeing an image before. Then the following sets were preceded either by another control, a picture of the participant, him or herself, or by a picture of the participant's spouse. So the researcher and her colleagues found that although the frequency with which couples have sex does not have much correlation with how satisfied they claim to be with their partner, it correlates well with their automatic attitudes towards one another. So those who said they had sex with their spouse two or more times a week reacted more quickly to positive words and more slowly to negative ones after seeing an image of their spouse. The opposite was true for those who had sex once a week or less. None of these effects emerged after people saw an image of themselves or during the initial control. I'm paying attention to this study because I like to put the problem on the table. So the results of this study does not mean that the no sex brigade are lying when they claim it does not signify because these people may genuinely believe what they say. But what it does suggest is that they are fooling themselves or they may be fooling themselves and that it's not a matter of pure lasciviousness or lustfulness or purience. If things do start to go wrong in a relationship and the participants want to patch matters up, understanding where the real problem lies is important so that there's so much to be gleaned from their reaction to that. And so although they may want to think that they are happy in the relationship and that the the happy marriage is not related to the frequency of sex or the type of sex or the satisfying sex, They may actually, in fact, be lying to themselves. But this is only one study. And with initial studies or pilot studies, we need more research along these lines. But if it is successfully replicated, and that's what you want to see in research studies, you know, this may change the way we deliver marriage counseling. This may be uh, the foundation for changing the way We help people to bring intimacy back into their relationships. I think this is quite important, very important work, a very important research study, because a lot of people will say, and right out of the gates tonight, had a phone call from somebody who dispelled my suggestion that sex was important in a relationship because I did forget to say if it's not important to you then you don't have a problem and so people come to this defense fairly quickly and they say you know there's so much else in a marriage yes but when you desire sex in a relationship and and you you know you just say it's okay um because you've got a house together, you've got children together, you've got families to consider, a community to consider. You know, when you walk away from that, you're walking away from a lot. So you may be satisfied with the neighborhood in which you live and which in the yacht club in which you belong to, or the, the stores where you frequent or the friends that you have as couples, but you may not be, and you may be lying to yourself that sex is not important. So Now that we've established that sex is important and let's stop alternative facts in your relationship, let's get to why is it that women enjoy sex more than men? I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980. CKNW, Maureen McGrath here hosting your show for you. It's always my pleasure. And we're going to talk about pleasure. That's the operative word for the next segment. And enjoyment is another one. And so any of those synonyms for those words. So when we think about sex and we think about men and women, we think about men uh You know, with higher sexual desire, men think about sex, they have it on their minds all the time. Uh, When I see patients in my clinical practice or when I talk about sexless marriages or infidelity or cheating, um, women often will say to me, you know, women cheat too. People are often surprised that women cheat. And I think, well, why are you surprised? Who do you think men cheat with? Yes, men cheat with men, and there are men who have sex with men, MSM. But there are also, for the most part, men cheat with other women. So women enjoy sex, and, and that is the operative word. And women may even enjoy sex more than men. So it is, it is, in fact, usually men who are deemed to chase sex the most. But it is us ladies, the fairer sex who take the lead when it comes to enjoyment. And I've taught you a thing or two about enjoyment, especially about the womanizer. So if you're not enjoying it too much, you can always try that. But there's a new study out of Concordia University here in Montreal, Canada, uh, that, it ter- that has actually has some outcomes there. These researchers, one of them is Dr. Jim Faust, a colleague of mine, that uh, looked into how women are turned on. And that is what relates to the enjoyment. Wouldn't you like to be a participant in one of these research studies? Did you even know Canada was this <laughs> exciting? <laughs> but sex research goes on in sex labs across the country and, uh, of course, across the world. We have uh, lots of sex researches around the world. Not enough, in my opinion, but... Um, So the extra enjoyment that the researchers from Concordia University learned stems from the fact that women are able to experience deeper and more varied orgasms than men. So, you know, I'm I'm not a guy. I haven't had a male orgasm. And uh, you don't have to tell me about yours either. (laughs) I was asked that question once. I'm not going to. Okay, good. Uh, I thought you were piping up there. Um, but. You know, it's it's a bit more straightforward I, from what I understand. And for women, the orgasms can be much more varied. The, this study, as I said, which was performed by researchers from Concordia, looked at how women are turned on and found that there are at least four orgasmic zones in or on the female body. So the fact that we have more or- orgasmic zones... Uh, gives, up, gives us the leg up, shall we say. So the orgasmic zones, I'm sure you're wondering, but um, they include the clitoris, the internal region around the G-spot. And there are many other spots within the vagina for women, but for all intents and purposes... These researchers found the clitoris, the internal region around the G-spot, and the cervix, as well as non-genital areas such as the nipples. So orgasms don't have to come from one site, from one place. But if you have uh, the opportunity that orgasms can come from more than one place, that makes it uh, much more varied, much more enjoyable, much more pleasurable, much, much different. Um, variety is the spice of life. So it may be that it, it, it comes from one area one day and two areas, the next and two different areas. And, and they're not necessarily the same for every woman, nor for every sexual experience, even in the same woman to be whole and to be valid and to be enjoyable and to be beneficial. And, you know, I hear this, uh, from women, and I understand this as well, uh, you uh, have different experiences with different people, with different partners. And so you may not be able to experience an orgasm, an internal orgasm, for example, with one man, if you're a woman and you're into heterosexual sex, um, but then the next person you are. So I hear from a lot of people in my clinical practice, a lot of women in my clinical practice, they'll say, you know, their husband that they've been with for a number of years, they either may know him really well and intimately and they know each other and and he understands her body and she's able to communicate this or that, you know, between the years of dealing with the kids and the finances and the whole you again syndrome and the boredom that can be associated in a long-term relationship in the bedroom. She may meet somebody new, and you know that, as we know, because of the hormone in the brain p e a may increase um, that sexual desire, and that is associated with uh, more frequent orgasms and you may be wanting to explore a little bit more. You may have been with your partner since you were younger, and then, as you get older and more confident and become more vulnerable, you may want to take this pleasure to a different level or be able to because it's new and exciting and the PEA is scourging through your blood vessels and that's helping you to have an enormous capacity to experience better orgasmic pleasure, especially because there are so many different types. So this is different for different women and at different times. It it has, uh, it's related to physiology. It's related to psychology And it's very different. The female orgasm, which, you know, the elusive female orgasm, which another thing, it's such a shame that only about one third of women will experience an orgasm. Some women may may not recognize that, an orgasm. Some don't understand it. They don't explore their own bodies. Uh, 70% of women require clitoral stimulation to experience an orgasm, but there are many other places in the body that will help you to experience a more varied and more pleasurable orgasm. So this education is really important and and letting women know that they can have a remarkable variety of orgasmic experiences, which may evolve throughout their lifespan. So in their, in their teens or their twenties, it may be very different than the thirties and the forties. Uh, so it can change all the time and it can get better. And, you know, the, a woman's erotic map is something that is individualized for each woman. Uh, it may actually, uh, be able to change depending on who they are with at that time. Uh, it's an ongoing process of of discovery, of of love, of comfort, of vulnerability, of experience, and, and construction. Quite frankly, it is up to you to construct this for you and for your pleasure. So this research by Dr. Jim Faust does certainly set the stage and uh, make us think a little bit about a little bit differently about women and enjoying sex and enjoying pleasure and and why it's important. I believe that women do experience orgasm. A lot of people will say the journey is just as good as the destination. I completely disagree on that. Um, you know, it t- it may take some time. As I said, it may take some construction. Uh, it takes vulnerability. There's so many aspects, ingredients to this recipe. If you know it and you understand it, you are much more likely to hop in the sack and make sure that sex is a priority in your life because it's for you. It's not always about pleasing the other person. It's about pleasure for yourself. So, you know how I feel about orgasms. I've spoken about them in the past. I think they're very important for you. And I think it's important to help to have a satisfying sex life. And you know what? There's, I think sex is important in in relationships. And I think we need to think about that as much as we need to think about finances, which is something else that people let fall off of the table or fall off of the bed. So hopefully you've, uh, Learned a little something tonight. You've enjoyed a little aspect or two or three or four of this erotic experience. And uh, thanks, Matt, for sharing your personal story. I really appreciate that about the smoking. I had no idea. Yeah, well, you uh, know what?
1: As long as I can help any of the listeners out there. I highly recommend trying a vaporizer because I'm blown away by the success I've had with it.
0: That's great. You did say it's expensive, though. It it is
1: expensive, but I've also... Don't know how many hundreds of dollars I've spent on nicotine gum and patches to try and help me quit.
0: This is true. When we were talking about you know nicotine gum and patches and how people get the enjoyment, that's why I said about when we were talking about smoking earlier. That's why I said it's cigarette smoking we're talking about. People garner pleasure from putting that cigarette in between their fingers, bringing it up to their mouth. That's the pleasure. And this study was done on cigarette smoking, not on other forms of nicotine, not on other because that does not give the satisfaction that the smoking. No, I don't does. chew.
1: I have, yeah. but I. But I mean, it. It really is the the pleasure of inhaling something, right? Yeah, like,
0: exactly. And people love that. They they actually love. I've heard non-smokers, former smokers, say, uh, you know, they miss that that lighting up every <laughs> single day. Anyway, so I hope the show lights you up. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, okay, that was really. Gamey, corny. Um, it is an alternative fact. I liked it. <laughs> uh, thanks. Um, yeah, but I think it's a little bit biased. So, but thanks for listening. I really appreciate that. I have a lot of speaking engagements. I'm, I'm going to be speaking at the fourth a- annual International Autonomic Symposium. That's happening at the blessed, um. Spinal Cord Center over at VGH, and that is happening on February 22nd. February, so tickets, we're looking for researchers, community people, spinal cord injured population. Um, also on February 25th and 26th, we are, I'm going to be speaking at the birth fair out at the Cloverdale Agriplex, going to be talking about the importance of sex after marriage, but also postpartum depression, breastfeeding. Getting your sexy back. Um, yummy Mummies, the whole nine yards. Uh, I have uh, Every Woman BC. It's that time again in May up at Whistler. So I'll tell you a little bit about that next week. And uh, so, Matt, thanks for your board opping tonight. And remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Have a sexually healthy week, everybody. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.